When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. to another edition of the Michael Deacon program. Tonight, I will be joined by a very special guest, Mr. Jim Fetzer, who is patiently waiting. And without further ado, let's bring him right in. Jim, how are you, my friend? Michael, terrific and glad to be back. Very nice. And Jim, as you know, I was having a great time drinking a beer, watching football, this beautiful Sunday, fun day edition of this program. Uh, Jim, have you been watching football? Yeah, we watched the, uh, let's see, it was uh, Louisville and uh, uh, Central Florida. I mean, it was just a wonderful game. My goodness, huge, high scoring. It was excellent football. I was. Uh, it was very much a pleasure to watch. Love that. And, and most importantly, the Big Ten is going to be playing... Uh, starting in just a couple weeks, and I that's very, very important. I think it turns out to be a big plus for the president because he's been encouraging, you know, the the conference to get back in the stadium, and uh, I think it, it, it affects a lot of key states, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, 
I think it's a big deal, and I'm particularly gratified because Barry Alvarez, who's the athletic director here at UW-Madison, was a key player, a key member. He was the head of the committee to decide whether or not to go back into play. Very nice. And Jim, for those who are new, can you tell the newer listeners just a little bit about yourself, just to give them a a taste of who Jim Fetzer is? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm a former Marine Corps officer and uh, a retired university professor. I have published widely. I have uh, over two dozen scholarly works and Foundations of scientific knowledge, computer science, artificial intelligence, cognitive science, and a dozen more in the area of what would be regarded as conspiracy research, beginning with JFK, but also 9-11, where I founded Scholars for 9-11. I've uh, co-founded a company called MoonRockBooks.com, which has now published 12 volumes, including on Sandy Hook, the Boston bombing, Orlando and Dallas, uh, Charlottesville, Parkland, more to come, where I have the, we have the unusual distinction, Michael, of having six of the 12 books we have published banned by Amazon, which means, of course, the deep state is very troubled because we've blown apart the official narrative. And of course, the latest news with Ruth Bader Ginsburg gone. Your opinion, Jim? Oh, yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. I believe this is the uh, Democrats' worst nightmare, Michael, that uh, the Trump would have the opportunity to make another appointment to the Supreme Court. He's already made two. Uh, Kevin on Gorsuch, and it it now appears he will be making a third. I originally (coughs) thought he would probably or possibly make a nomination before the election and then uh, pursue the the process of confirmation after. But uh, if Mitch McConnell is just a genius at working the Senate, and uh, but believe me, he will know how it's going to come out so that if the, that process of the nomination before but confirmation after is followed, it will be because Mitch Connell knew that a couple of senators who have wavered or been in doubt in the past, uh, Susan Collins of, of Maine and uh, Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, and of course Mitt Romney, who is basically a never-Trumper from Utah, where we have, uh, you know, a couple of Democrats have come over supporting Kavanaugh, for example. I thought Susan Collins was absolutely magnificent, the way she reasoned through, giving one of the most well-thought-through speeches and eloquent in composition I've ever heard in the Senate on behalf of Kavanaugh. But she's saying she thinks... It should be the new president who makes the nomination. And, of course, that would be Trump, assuming he's reelected. Now, I believe his reelection is overwhelmingly probable, and I'll be glad to amplify on that. But I also believe it's extraordinarily interesting that of the two leading candidates, both of whom are women, Amy Coney Bryant, 
who's on the uh, uh, Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit, as absolutely peerless intellectual, academic, and judicial qualifications. <clears throat> but the second, I would say, who is Barbara Lago or Lagoa <coughs> on the 11th Circuit, Although her credentials are not impressive, she has the following two distinct advantages, Michael. She has uh, she comes from uh, Florida, and she has Cuban connections. Really? And, yeah. And this uh, Florida thing is very big. The Cuban community is already leaning to Trump <coughs> because they're anti-socialist. And, of course, Bernie and many of these radicals, like the squad, have alarmed them. The squad, so right. I think this would only confirm it because Florida is so delegate-rich. I believe now, although it was Trump's original intention to nominate Amy Coney Barrett, that he is now inclined and will nominate Barbara Lagoa. And she just looks like a super candidate, too. And here's another advantage she has. When she was last confirmed, she received 80 votes, 80 votes in confirmation. There were 15 negative and five abstentions. Well, that 80 meant she got 30 Democrat votes. Now, they're going to be very hard-pressed, having so recently confirmed her, to turn around and vote against her, which will make it appear to be, as it would be, purely political. So I think Trump, secures many advantages. He strengthens his vote with the Latino community, especially a community in Florida, virtually guarantees. I believe he was going to take Florida anyway, but, you know, it, it, it makes it much less likely he could lose Florida. And he puts the Democrats in a pickle because if they oppose her, it's going to be obvious they're doing so on political grounds only. Right. And Florida has a very large uh, Cuban population in the area. And most of the time they vote uh, Republican, no doubt. Well, it's like, it's just a really fortuitous, it seems to me, that this should be happening now. Uh, because, you know, if it had been a couple of weeks later. Right. It wouldn't have been possible to even contemplate a nomination before the election. Now, the Democrats are having heart attacks. They're panic-struck, uh, stricken, and they're, they're trying to put up all kinds of arguments that this is the wrong thing to do. But let, let me give you some quotes from some prominent Democrats of the recent past. No problem. Harry Reid, who was then the head of the House, uh, op-ed, February 15, 2016, an election year. Until now, even though all the partisan battles, even through all the partisan battles of recent decades, the Senate's constitutional duty to give a fair and timely hearing and a floor vote to the president's Supreme Court nominees has remained inviolable. This, of course, was because... Uh, 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 Mitch McConnell was not moving forward with a vote on their nominee because the parties were, uh, the, the presidency was in the hands of Barack Obama, the Democrats, but the Senate in the hands of the House. Here was President Obama then, February 16th. This is a day following Reid's remarks. The Constitution is pretty clear about what's supposed to happen now. 
when there's a vacancy on the Supreme Court, the President of the United States is to nominate someone. The Senate is to consider that nominee nomination, and either they disapprove of that nominee or that nominee is elevated to the Supreme Court. Here are a couple more also of enormous interest. Uh, one from then-Senator Joe Biden. This was back in, on June 25th, 1992, a statement on the floor of the Senate, but it was also an election year. The Senate should not shrink from its responsibility to act on a Supreme Court nominee simply because once confirmed as an associate justice, there will be tough decisions to make. And another, more recently this year, in an interview with Minnesota Public Radio on February 18th, again, a Biden to leave the seat vacant at a critical moment in American history is a little bit like saying, God forbid something happened to the president and the vice president. We're not going to fill the presidency for another year and a half. I think there's a lot there to undermine any contentions that the Senate uh, should not move forward just because we're not that far from the election on November 3rd. Or right around the corner. It's pretty ridiculous. And of course, we have the debates coming up, which I've been uh, just completely thrilled about. And I've been asking other people out there and they've been telling me that the that the uh, debate is not going down. And I thought, really, you really think that? Oh, it's going down. All right, Jim. And it's going to be awesome. Well, what's fascinating, Michael, is that Joe Biden is clearly cognitively incompetent. We That's have a why. recent staffer. Yeah talking about his stages of dementia, that this is a subject of staff meetings, that they put him on a anti-dementia medication, which has the unfortunate side effect of making him incontinent. So they have staff meetings where they're discussing what type of adult diaper Biden ought to be wearing, which would be the least visible in oh his God. trousers and crinkle the least if he's urinating. So I think our next expectation for Joe Biden will be seeing him on television making commercials for Depends. <laughs> really, Jim, you're, you're not you're not pulling my leg here. No, no. The man's no. really wearing the pens. 100 percent. Oh, boy. Wow. Well, that's news to me, Jim. Well, I'm telling you, in Biden's path to an election victory has got narrower and narrower and narrower. I mean, look at the Democratic convention. It was really quite pedestrian and never addressed the elephant in the room, which is urban violence. Right. Uh, While the Republican was magisterial, I mean, it was so professionally produced, each speaker one after another. You had this wonderful uh, candidate for Congress from Baltimore taking a walk through showing how the city's been shut down, the murder rate, the drug rate all up, and that it's been under Democratic control for, I don't know, 52 years. And you had Herschel Walker coming out and pointing out that, you know, it's insulting to him for anyone to describe uh, Donald Trump as a racist because he's had like a 37-year friendship with Donald Trump, and that would imply that he was a racist. It was just one after another after another, Michael. And yet we seem to be seeing an instant replay of what we had with the 2016 
where top executives are saying Biden can win the 2020 presidential election. A professor who accurately predicted every election since 1984 says Biden will beat Trump. I saw that. Yeah, Biden has a 71% chance of winning 2020 election against Trump. But this is all really completely ridiculous. They, they are, among other points, for example, taking for granted that he's going to win Texas. But Texas has been reliably Republican for decades. Right. Uh, no Democrat has won the state in forever. Jim, let me let me stop you there really quickly, Jim, and let me ask you this. Hypothetically, let's say Joe Biden wins. What, what, what exactly are you going to say after that? Oh, I mean, it's it's great that we have a you know a testable proposition because the evidence will be in. But I'm telling you, here's an illustration. Michael. Go for it. Yes, go ahead. When, when, when Trump came to Kenosha, it was five miles of citizens out to greet him. But when Biden, at the same time, Biden was having a, a, a meeting in a backyard, there were 15 people there. I mean, I'm telling you, Biden is getting no turnout whatsoever. The similar event happened up in Minnesota. Uh, Trump was in Bemidji. There were thousands turning out. Biden was in Duluth, and he had a rally in a Carpenters Union Hall for, you know, uh, 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 maybe a dozen, maybe a dozen people were there, Michael. I mean, there's no enthusiasm. You're not wrong. Biden has done a horrible job on the ground, no doubt. It's worse than Hillary's campaign for sure. Oh, that's correct. That's in true. Fact, no, that's you're right. Michael Moore. Michael Moore, who, of course, sounded the alarm that Hillary was going to lose in 2016 because she was ignoring the Rust Belt states of, he was citing particularly Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And, of course, they were instrumental in in, in Trump's victory. Well, Michael Moore's right in this case. It, well, he's saying it's happening again. Yeah, he's, well, he's right. The ground game yeah. in Michigan is even worse than Hillary's. So He's a recent wrong. Wall Street Journal, by the way, made some astute observations pointing out if there's going to be flip-flopping, Minnesota and Arizona are in play because, well, liberal experts won't even call Minnesota battleground state, but in recent weeks, six Iron Range mayors have denounced Biden and thrown their support behind President Trump. I'm for I I lived 19 years in in northern uh, Minnesota. That's right. When I was on the Duluth campus of the University of Minnesota, and what I'm hearing there is Trump signs all over the place. None for Biden. None, none for Biden. Right. And, and I'll tell you what's fascinating about Duluth. It has regularly had the highest voter turnout of any city in the nation, and it looks to me very much as though. Duluth, and I believe Minnesota. I mean, look at the idiocy. You had the Minnesota City Council calling for defunding the police in the wake of the George Floyd purported death. I have demonstrated again and again that, in fact, it was fake, that he was manacled behind his back when he was put into the squad car. Normally, that's the key event. You drive the suspect to the precinct and you have him fingerprinted, booked, and, and mugshots taken. Instead, he was allegedly taken out of the other side. 
where we have video of all of this being manacled, put in the squad car, but we have none from being taken out on the other side. And the next we know, there looks to be George Floyd lying on the ground with his knee on his neck, except he had hair when he got in the car. Now he's completely bald. His hands were manacled behind his back. Now his hands are not manacled and in front of his torso. And when they lift him up to put him on a gurney, Michael, he has no legs. They were using an African-American windpipe training torso from Sigma 7, a company then based in Minneapolis, but which got out of Dodge when the looting started to take place. No doubt they were worried that the fraud was going to be exposed and they might be held liable. I'm just telling you, this is all as monstrous as it could get. And not only that, but we've had polling going all the way back to December where Rasmussen discovered then that 40% of black likely voters were going to support Trump, 40%. Not only that, but in the most recent polling, what one of the most reliable indicators of who's going to win an election is the overall job approval rating of the uh, incumbent. and and. Trump has hit 52% uh, uh, percent approval, one point short of his all-time high of 53, higher than Barack Obama was at this stage in his re-election bid, which, of course, as we all know, was successful. Right. And, of course, Jim, you mentioned uh, Minnesota a moment ago, and, of course, you were out there at the University of Duluth, the Minnesota Duluth out there. That's right. Nineteen and, years, Mike. Yeah, you were out there teaching, and I, I was just curious, Jim, with all the um, uh, with all the trouble that you caused, Jim, with the Sandy Hook parents. Has anyone from the facility reached out to you, Jim? Well, what I'm just curious was uh, there were uh, you know obvious attacks on me submitted to the university, but the university responded by defending my right to research. And of course, right, my okay. controversial work has been since I retired in June of 2006. But they have added a statement at the top of my academic uh, curriculum vitae page that says that the university is, you know, they, they, they respect my right to publish, that my views do not represent those of the university, which is, of course, true for every faculty member. Faculty members are like independent contractors, Michael, and no one familiar with higher education would ever presume that any faculty member ever spoke for the institution. That's the role of the administration. You got to be talking about deans and provosts and chancellors to have someone speaking for the institution. The faculty, everyone familiar with higher education understands only speaks for themselves, but because of the attacks, many of which I'm sure were inspired by, you know, certain parties absolutely who, right who have been uh, upset that I have exposed their shenanigans. So they have added this warning at the top of the page or this advisory, but there's been no further effort, nor do I expect there will be. And it's very good that, you know, University of Minnesota hasn't allowed itself to be moved or affected by outside pressure. But, Michael, I cannot say that had I still been a member of the faculty, 
when I began publishing on Sandy Hook, which, mind you, you know, in terms of the book, it wasn't until 22 October 2015. So I'd already been a professor emeritus uh, for nine years before that appeared. But my, my dear friend and colleague, James Tracy from Florida Atlantic, was attacked by the same parties who had come after me. And he actually lost his position because of the political campaign they launched against him in no, Southern Florida. Awful. South Florida, very unfortunate. Terrible. He, he, he may have been the best faculty member they had. He was in uh, the School of Journalism. He, he had courses even on the media and conspiracy, Michael. So his it, it was for work he did on a blog, on his personal blog. I mean, it's totally outrageous. I'm hopeful that James Tracy may get some justice yet in this life, but it's my no means assured, particularly given the political environment in that neck of the woods. Understood. So no one privately uh, reached out to you, Jim, any of like, let's say like a coworker or a former coworker of sorts from the university, no one like that. No, they, they would know me too well to do that. They would know. I wouldn't, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't respond in an appreciative uh, way, okay. <laughs> but the, the the institution. Remember, you know, the administration for the for the university system is on the Twin Cities campus in Minneapolis, and that would be where you know decisions about matters like this would be made. It would be on the Duluth campus. So, no, I in fact. While I was there, you know, I, I began doing serious research on JFK in 1992, and I even organized a conference um, in Minneapolis in 1999 on the death of JFK and brought in, oh, 20 or 30 experts, and the University of Minnesota funded it. And, and then in 2003, I had a sequel. I had a more limited conference on the Zapruder film on my own campus in Duluth and the University of Minnesota funded that as well. I think I was fortunate that there was an associate dean in the graduate school who was very enthusiastic about my research on JFK. And I think that created a buffer. Were there any controversy, he was there to speak up on my behalf because he was familiar with my work and its significance. My very first book on JFK Assassination Science, published 1998, the year before the conference, which would lay the foundation for my second murder in Dealey Plaza in 2000, shattered the cover up. I brought together, you know, as I've done again and again, groups of experts in areas where I myself am not, such as a world authority on the human brain, who is also an expert on wound ballistics, having supervised and uh, 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 an emergency hospital for wounded Okinawans and Japanese prisoners of war during the Battle of Okinawa. He was the the founder of the first department of neurosciences in the world at the University of California, San Diego, Bob Livingston. He would discern that the brain shown in diagrams and photographs in the National Archives is not even the brain of JFK. Right. Uh, I, David W. Mandick, MD, PhD, PhD, physics, Wisconsin, MD, uh, Michigan, board certified in radiation oncology. So he's an expert in the interpretation of x-rays. We began to collaborate in late 1992, where he'd already secured permission from Burke Marshall, the Kennedy family attorney, a professor emeritus at Yale Law School to enter the archives 
and study the autopsy materials where he told me before he entered that he thought he would discover evidence of a second shot to the head and that the autopsy x-rays had been altered. And I told him, either way, we had what we were looking for in the sense of scrutinizing the official account to subject it to severe tests to determine whether it could be taken to be reliable. And in fact, he found both. I also had a, a chapter by a physician who'd been in Parkland in, and was in trauma room one when JFK's moribund body was brought in, and then two days later was responsible for the care and treatment of his alleged assassin, Lee Oswald, Charles Crenshaw, and his attorney, Brad Keziah. They're both such quality, high-quality people. In fact, uh, Chuck drew for me diagrams of what the throat wound looked like both before and after the tracheostomy incision and of the blowout to the back of the head from behind in the side views, which I published as appendices to the book, along with, you know, the death certificates for JFK and the official autopsy report from Bethesda. I mean, it's just a wonderful volume. It was by far my my best selling. It went through like fourteen printings, Michael. Right, and Jim, you spent so much time working on the JFK assassination, uh, much more extensively than any other researcher that I've come across, uh, Jim. Well, I suspect that's true, and I've given you know I've probably given a thousand talks, lectures, presentations about JFK. Pretty wild. Though I've been flown around the world uh, uh, about 9-11, for example, I founded Scholars for 9-11 Truth in December 2005, and the society just took off like a rocket. We created a website. I was responsible for posting every item that ever appeared on that website, which is now at 911scholars.org. We you know, uh, would sponsor lectures, organize conferences, publish, you know, make available videos and the like. My wife and I were both flown all expense paid in that December to Athens, Greece, to appear on a television program hosted by the leading muckraker in Greece, whose research has been responsible for bringing down corrupt Greek administrations and going in, I was told that while there were 12 panelists, usually only two or three asked questions. And I said, no, no, tonight they all will. Indeed, they all did. Amazing. They, they had done a fabulous job of preparation. They must have had 15 video clips from 9-11. We went through 10 or 12. He extended it for an extra half an hour. It was broadcast worldwide by satellite. And I'd go so far as to say, Michael, that was the high watermark for the 9-11 truth movement because subsequently, even while I was there, other members of the group were attempting to break away and undermine because I was looking to alternative theories and explanations for what had happened to the Twin Towers. One moment, Jim. I have to stop you. Jim, I got to stop you there. I I must, um, I I have to tell you, Jim, when we talked about 9-11 on our last show, someone must have informed, I I believe, uh, what's his name? Um, Now I'm blanking out. Richard Gage? Richard Gage. I think someone told him, and I think we, we ruffled some feathers. I'm sure we did. I think we pissed him off. 
Well, I don't mince any words. Richard Gage is the head of architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. A little bird told me, by the way. Pardon me? A little birdie told me. Yeah, well, he's a, he's a limited hangout guy, just as Judy Wood in her do group. And it was actually my interviewing Judy on 11 November of 2006, which is the first of 15 interviews I would do with Judy, Michael, on my radio show where I was pioneering interaction between the radio and the computer. So we would take our audience to Judy's website and go through her masterful collection of photographs, diagrams, documents, and so forth. It was sensational. But as far as Stephen Jones, who I, I invited to be my co-chair after David Ray Griffin declined, he'd tell me years later, he, he had not had any confidence that a society would make a difference, but he had to admit he'd been wrong because this one was making a tremendous difference. Uh, uh, Steve Jones was advocating the use of nanothermite as having been responsible for the destruction of the towers. Right. I, I had already concluded by June of 2006 when Alex Jones invited me to be the keynote speaker at his American Scholars Conference held in Los Angeles that that Steve was completely wrong, uh, and therefore I was interested in exploring other avenues. Well, look, nanothermite only has one-thirteenth the explosive force of TNT, so why would you use a feeble explosive? Not only that, uh, in order to destroy a material, whether it's concrete or steel, you must ha an explosive must have a detonation velocity equal to or greater than the speed of sound in that material, the speed of sound in concrete is 3,200 meters per second in steel, 6,100 meters per second. But the highest detonation velocity ever recorded for nanothermite is only 895 meters per second, Michael. You can't get there from there. That, 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 that Richard Gage continues to talk about nanothermite as insulting. Uh, T. Mark Hightower is a chemical engineer, and I published three articles in 2011 demonstrating that that nanothermite could not have possibly have been responsible. But I'll tell you, here's the key to understanding both the Judy group and the and, and the Gage group. Go for it. They are not willing to talk about who was responsible and why. Right. So, so when you combine the fact that they focus on how, and Judy is emphatic, that we have to know how it was done in every, every detail, where she only gives, you know, the vague attribution to direct an energy weapons, which he only defines as follows, a source of energy far greater than conventional that can be directed, which is also true of nuclear devices. They're a source of far more energy than conventional, and they can be directed. And indeed, the job appears to have been done with nuclear devices, but Judy refuses to address all the evidence that establishes that outcome. And so she won't talk about who is responsible or why. And if anyone asks her really a question about her views, if you haven't bought and read her book, she won't even talk to you. She's very curt. That's right. She'll divert. And, yeah. And with Gage, he's uh, similarly, he won't talk about who is responsible and why. And points out that they had it built into their charter that they would only talk about scientific aspects of 9-11, and then he gives us a hopelessly unscientific account of how it was done. It's embarrassingly bad. We didn't get the memo, Jim. That's what I feel. Say again? We didn't get the memo. We didn't get the memo. <laughs> oh. 
I know, Michael. So, you know, they're both limited hangouts. I have no respect for Richard Gage. I understand. Or for Judy Wood. I, mean, I hear I, you. Look, I have dealt with them extensively. Right. Yeah, you have. You, you have a long history with Judy Wood. And, uh, Jim, by the way, you mentioned conferences and someone had recently asked me, they, they said, Michael, do you want to go to the question everything conference in Austin? And they were willing to fly me out there, uh, free of charge, Jim. And you're going to be out there, Jim. Go ahead and tell Michael, the Michael, Michael, I organized that conference. That's right. And I heard I about it. Go ahead. By two dozen speakers. Cause we now have three who are going to be speaking on the moon landing hoax. Really? Yeah. 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 And I've got some of the best. I've got Rebecca Carnes, who's a Newtown mom, who's speaking out about Sandy Hook. I've got Kelly Watt, who was the first to call up and asked wow. the, 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 the lieutenant in charge uh, who cleaned up the blood, to which he replied, what blood? Which, of course, meant they, there wasn't any blood at Sandy Hook. I mean, I've got, I've got the woman, a professor... Uh, uh, who has been a professor of law who has published two volumes on the godfathers of sex, uh, Bill Cosby, uh, Harvey Weinstein, and Jeffrey Epstein. She'll be speaking. I've got Dr. Oh, Catherine Horton, who's a Ph.D. Uh, in particle physics from Oxford, who's led the legal effort to to oppose uh, the targeting individuals with directed energy weapons. I've got the three, you know, best people on JFK. I've got David Mandick, the leading expert on the medical evidence in the world. Will Amazing. Be uh, Jim, Larry hold that. Rivera, who's done the cutting edge research, who confirmed. Jim, hold on I, one uh, second. Jim, I got to stop you there. We, we do have a call, and I think it might be for you, Jim. I, let, let's get, let's get back to talking to, or talking about the conference rather in a moment here. But let's say hello to the caller here. Caller, what's going on? Did you have a question for Jim? Yeah, good evening, gentlemen. Uh, Professor Fetzer, I was under the impression that there's a a gold heist going on during 9-11. Do you know whose uh, gold they were taking? Well, it was from the Federal Reserve Bank. I mean, uh, 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 Sonnenfeld, Kurt Sonnenfeld, who was a videographer, had footage of the open vault. There are some who have suggested there's a... Diehard movie about a gold hoist. That was how it was done. Yeah, diehard with a truck. Yeah, there's all kinds of financial aspects that deserve uh, more attention than they've received in the past. There was some 250 billion dollars, as I recall, in uh, what were known as Brady bonds that were due on uh, September 12th. That were going to be very expensive for George H. W. Bush and his cronies. And so, you know, it all just went away. Then there were, you know, major investigations by the Security and Exchange Commission of like five major Wall Street firms where that evidence, too, was destroyed, or so they alleged it would turn out years and years later that actually the evidence for those cases had been digitalized and was also available elsewhere, but they used the destruction and the false claim it had been destroyed to abandon those investigations, so you're, you're spot on. There's a lot that was taking place over and beyond that the, the overriding goal was to create a, a, a pretext for the U.S. to enter the Middle East and take out the modern Arab states that served as a counterbalance to Israel's domination of the entire region and eventually to confront the Persian nation of Iran. It didn't play out that way, but not for lack of trying. Where, uh, 
Wesley Clark, uh, who had learned of the plan on one of his visits to the Pentagon after he returned from serving as commanding general of NATO, revealed at the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco on 3 October 2007, the plan to take out the governments of seven countries in the next five years, beginning with Iraq and Libya, ending with Syria and Iran, which of course didn't pan out because of the intervention of Russia and Iran at the request of the democratically elected president of Syria, Bashir al-Assad. And Jim, your thoughts on uh, that giant white plane floating above New York on that fateful day? Well, there were a couple of those, a uh, couple of those, uh, you know, uh, called doomsday planes that were very sophisticated electronic. They were remote command and control for the president if we were ever under nuclear attack. Uh, that, uh, that was up and about. And Dick Cheney appears to have been operating the executive director from a bunker beneath a White House. Uh, this is all really incredibly fascinating, detailed stuff. Yeah, well, your uh, knowledge on 9-11 goes very, very deep. Um, I want to thank you guys for the great, great show. Uh, Michael, are you staying safe out of those fires in the desert there? Oh, yes. I'm very, near you? I'm very far away, by the way. Luckily. Oh, that's good news. Yeah, I'm way, yeah, way far away from all of that noise out here in the uh, desert. Right on, yeah. Well, you dealt with the orange skies just like I did over here in the Bay Area. That shit was gnarly. It really was. Let me just add, uh, on my most recent lengthy explorations of various of these conspiracies with more to come can be found at jimtheconspiracyguy.com. I'm doing these uh, weekly presentations. And I, I have to record those shows in advance. And, in fact, one's playing now about how the earlier incarnation of a show called The Conspiracy Guy on the Progressive Radio Network, PRNFM, out in New York, was was tossed under the bus by Gary Knoll after my 65th show. This is a weekly show, Michael. So I began, you know, in late 2016, all of 2017 into 2018, and I was exposing the Parkland shooting as a fraud when I think he may have heard from Debbie Wasserman Schultz that this was too much, because I was explaining how it was to be a distraction from the Imran Awan scandal, where she'd allowed her iTech guy to use her cover to spy on other members of Congress, and that she was fearful that as many as 11 House seats in Florida alone would be lost, and how she orchestrated this shooting. Nobody died, like Sandy Hook, like Orlando, another scam. But if you look at this week's, the one tonight and the one from last week, you'll find, you know, you'll learn a lot about Parkland and about Democrat politics because it seems these days virtually everything they do is, is, is a form of lie, deception, manipulation, deceit of the American people. It, it is truly repulsive. Amazing. And, you know, the idea uh, that they would put up Joe Biden as their nominee for president of the United States when he's lost his cognitive competence is outrageous in and of itself. By the way, Jim, I'm sorry to go back to this for a second here, but the listeners in the chat room, they wanted to know your opinion on the fires out here in California. Lots of individuals have 
really played around with the theory that the fires were not caused by a gender reveal party, but actually by a directed energy weapon. Well, certainly some in the past have been where you see the homes completely destroyed. I mean, right. reduced to ashes in totality, and there's evergreen. And there's trees. trees surrounding yeah. them. Uh, it appears there were two or three compounding factors. One, of course, chemtrails has been dropping particles of barium strontium uh, and other elements that are going to make uh, soil highly flammable, particularly if you're talking about pine needles and the like. Plus, California has adopted some bizarre method of not actually tending to the forest and removing old, old, uh, you know, deadwood and so forth and cleaning up. So it's become a tinderbox. And it appears that arson is going on abundantly. We have reports of dozens of fires being lit by various representatives of Antifa, BLM, what have you. But I do not rule out. That directed energy weapons may also have been evolved here, without any doubt. These yeah. fires are overwhelmingly deliberately set. Yeah, you can't rule it out in 2020, Jim, that's for sure. Say again? I said you can't really rule out any anything in the year 2020. Oh, that's that's right, Michael. That's right. That's right. The question becomes why. Why, yeah. Well, one theory way back when, when we had all the fires, you know, the deep directed energy weapons taking out, was that there's a... Supposed to be high speed rail and it was going to go right through the routes where oh, all this yes. was, it was yes. taking place so that the government wouldn't have to pay for it by eminent domain, but property owners would abandon their property and they could get it d- dirt cheap. Another is that it's to drive rural residents into urban communities where we seem to see the future in Australia where they're constructing these units of little cubicles, you know, for mass occupancy where everyone gets a couple hundred square feet. I mean, it's just outrageous. It's like living in a chicken coop, but that they want to make this more, you know, move the population more urban, actually, because of the looting, the rioting and the destruction and the lawlessness in the cities. Actually, residents have been moving in the opposite direction toward more secure environments, including rural environments, as is true in New York and Seattle and San Francisco uh, in Portland. I mean, look, the Democrats are just unable to conduct the business of government. How long have we seen, you know, feces accumulating in San Francisco? I had a map of it. It was just staggering. The number of this is human feces. And when you combine that, you know, with a homeless and the drug use and all that. I mean, it's it's the the indictment of the Democrats for malfeasance, being incapable of governing their own cities and their own states. God forbid they should get control of the country because they want to do for the United States what they've done for Portland, Seattle, and San Francisco. I mean, it is repulsive. It's a lovely smell in the morning out there, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> a caller, by the way, what do you make of these fires? I was on the. I kind of subscribed to the notion that they were caused by lightning. At least these current ones that happen near where I live. I'm 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 right near Santa Cruz, California. Oh so shit! Nice area. We were greatly affected. Yeah, we were greatly affected by uh, the SC or CZU fire. Um, that that was kind of 
going off in our area. Um, but one last question for you gentlemen, as I say, good evening. Um, who do you guys vote or uh, not vote for? Who do you guys um, root for in the, the ice hockey NHL? Oh, you know, I, I, I really haven't followed hockey much. When I was at Duluth, Duluth was the national champion a couple times. Now I'm uh, residing near Madison, Wisconsin, right. and they have a pretty good hockey team too, but I've never got into pro hockey. So, you know, I'm not going to have a, a an opinion of any value on that subject. I'll give you an opinion. I I'll throw one out for you. Yeah, I'm not a, a I'm not a huge hockey fan by any means. I mean, I am Hispanic for fuck's sake. So you mean you know I'm not going to be ice skating anytime soon. Hey, hey, El Paso <laughs> has a hockey team. Come on now. I, I, well, I'm trying to make you laugh, caller. Relax. Okay. Calm down. <laughs> no, that's not. But to be honest with you, Detroit, the the Red Wings have always been oh, like my man. team. Okay. I've always been a Red Wing thing. I, I don't know why, and people hate me for it now. Yeah, I, I kind of do hate you for it. Exactly. See what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I ref college hockey. But I just, I just had to ask you guys. Love that. But, um, I, I had yeah, a great show there, Mike. I, I had a roommate. I did a year of graduate school at Columbia, and I had a roommate there uh, who was a hockey player from uh, Colorado College. He was very, very good, and uh, you know, so. That's about the closest I've come to any association with hockey, having a, having a roommate in grad school. You got to go to a game one of these days, uh, Jim. It's very fun. Oh, I, I know they're fierce. Hockey is a, a tremendously competitive sport. It's awesome sport. live. It's very rugged, very ruthless. Love it's, it. Yeah, it's fascinating. What I want to see is a rugby game in the future. That's what I want to see, caller. Oh yeah, that'd be a good time. That's a real sport to play a rugby game. It's, yeah. a, it's a real sport, my friend. No goddamn pads, except for, for that sure. little helmet. Yeah. Just you're just killing each other. Um, but it's <laughs> it's, it's insane. Blood sport. Oh yeah. So caller, thank Glad you so much. I do want to thank you, caller, for uh, chiming in here yeah. with us. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Thank you, Professor Fetzer. Always a pleasure. Gabby with us, rather. All right. Take Thanks. care, caller. Always. Thanks, caller. Bye bye. So, Jim, that brings us back to what I wanted to ask you originally, and that was the Bob Woodward conversation, and I'm sure you have an opinion on that. And uh, for those that have not heard that conversation between Bob Woodward and the president, I do have the audio queued up for us, Jim. Let's roll. Very tricky situation. It's uh, it, it goes is. it goes through air, Bob. That's always tougher than the touch. You know, the touch you don't have to touch things, right? But the air, you just breathe the air. That's how it's uh, passed. And so that's a very tricky one. That's a very delicate one. Uh, it's also more deadly than your, you know, your even your strenuous flus. You know, people don't realize we lose 25,000, 30,000 people a year here. Who, who would ever think that, right? I know. It's I mean, much it's pretty forgotten. amazing. And uh, then I say, well, is that the same thing? For, this is uh, more for... deadly. This is 5 per, you know, this is 5% versus 1% and less than 1%. You know, so this is deadly stuff. And there was that conversation Bob Woodward had with the president. And, of course, Jim, you know as well as I do they will be using this against him during that debate, for sure. Yeah, but it, it's it's not going to make a difference. Uh, I mean, look, uh, 
the president was getting bad advice from his experts. He actually listened to them, but they were wrong. On my blog right now, I have a piece by Mark Thyssen uh, entitled, uh, Trump did listen to experts on the pandemic. They just failed him. And you'll see where he was following their advice from the beginning, which was based on the Neil or Nigel Ferguson model out of Imperial College, London, that was projecting as many as 2.2 million deaths in America, 500,000 in the U.S. if there were to lockdown of the economy. Uh, Trump actually right along was following the advice of the experts as Mark Thyssen documents there. So I don't think this is going to make a difference. Uh, you know, it's a ripple. It's a grasping after straws, which is all that the Democrats have left. And I'll just add a couple more points about how bad is the situation they're in. Go for it, Jim. Yeah. Well, it, 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 it turns out that the investigation by you know the 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 serious investigation of what's going on related to uh, RussiaGate is closing in. Uh, S- Senator Ron Johnson, whom I didn't originally think would be doing a good job, actually has been. And they are subpoenaing uh, John Brennan and James Comey and James Clapper, and it's closing in on, you know, Biden, uh, the whole role of the the phony Russiagate and the Democrats that are going to be tied in as a consequence, plus demonstrating that Biden put his son on the board of this Ukrainian gas company, which he knew was corrupt, which, you know, is another argument for his unfitness for office. But, But look, when you get down to Biden, he's unfit on so many different dimensions. I mean, he's also, you know, hands-on all over children and so forth. I must have told you this story when Christopher Coons was sworn in by Biden because he was from Delaware, and Biden leaned over to Coons' young daughter and said to her, picked up by the mics, and I've seen it in video and audio, do you have any idea how horny it makes me to be standing next to a 13-year-old girl? I mean, it's disgusting. My goodness. And Biden does this again and again and again. He's a creep. Well, that so, I don't know. deny. I, I have seen video. Well, we all have seen video of Joe Biden being very hands-on with uh, many females, yes. Oh, yeah. Sniffing their hair, all this other stuff. And we got one who claimed he pushed her up against a wall and digitally penetrated her. You know, I mean, it goes on and on. Yeah, there's that digital rape again. The mainstream won't talk about it. You know, they're deliberately suppressing, only running propaganda. And so they were an extension of the Democratic Party. It's ridiculous. And my goodness, Jim, the, the year is almost over. Can you believe that? The year is almost over. I know. I know. Here we are. September. I'll just tell you, I am thrilled about the Big Ten going to play football. I think that's very, very good. And it makes a difference. I was looking at the rankings before the Big Ten came in, and by putting the and noticing, going through it with my wife and pointing out that there were no Big Ten teams being listed because 
the Big Ten had at that point not opted in, but now that you put in the Big Ten, turns out number two in the national rankings is Ohio State, number seven or eight is Penn State, number 11 is Wisconsin. It's going to make a big difference, and they're going to play enough games, I think, to be eligible for the playoffs. So I think it's going to make a real difference. The American people need to get something positive out of this. And by the way, yeah, protesting and objections to the lockdowns, to the, the masks and uh, social distancing are becoming abundant worldwide. They're simply not being reported, Michael. Right. You're, you're having huge protests in Berlin and Paris, uh, you know, many parts of the world. It's simply not being reported. I think the American people are sick of it, and when they realize this whole thing is an immense scam, I think the outrage is going to be simply overwhelming. And when you say that it's a scam, Jim, you mean that the virus is real, but the what what came after the outcome from it has sort of been a part of like some sort of sinister plan. Is that what you mean? Michael, ninety percent of the of the of the uh, cases are false positives. They're only reporting, you know, fragments of past having a coronavirus. The the cold vet flu it, it, the, and the flu are called caused by coronavirus. So you can have remnants, all kinds of false positives. The CDC even acknowledged that the total number of deaths that are attributable to the coronavirus is less than ten thousand in the United States, less than 10,000. And yet you're hearing all these anchors on CNN and MSNBC talking about uh, 200,000 to 300,000 deaths, but but they're just playing a game. I, I pointed it out, wrote a letter to the editor of the Wisconsin State Journal that there was a fallacy of equivocation involved here, an ambiguity over the meaning of the word case, yes. that you would be listed as a case if you got a positive test, but that didn't mean you had the virus or that you were sick. Yeah, the numbers don't make sense to me either. They're a little odd. Well, well they're all manufactured. And, you know, the Minnesota State Senator Scott Jensen reported how he's both an MD and a state senator, and he was pressured to identify a patient as uh, having died from COVID, even though he's never been tested. Mm. And now the hospitals were being given $13,000 for every patient they identified as COVID, $39,000 for every patient they put on a ventilator. In other words, this has been a money-making scheme. It's a money scheme. It seems like it. hospitals and big pharma. I mean, it's just outrageous, Michael. Amazing stuff there, Jim. And, of course, I don't want to take up too much of your time. We are coming to a close very soon, Jim. But just a few more questions before we... Uh, close up shop here with you, Jim. And of course, you mentioned the, the wife earlier. And of course, I always have to bring her up and say, have have you two argued about anything yet, Jim? In, term, <laughs> in terms of the Bob Woodward audio. <laughs> Has well, she told well, you let's anything? Put it this way, her favorite show is Rachel Maddow. Oh, with my God. Tucker Carlson. You oh, know, and I, I tell you, Tucker has been setting records for the first quarter. He had over, this is the first time in history, over 4 million viewers the other night, he had 4.8 million viewers. This is a guy who cuts through all the smoke and mirrors and gives you straight reporting. Tucker is not quite as sophisticated about conspiracies. I don't think he really underststands Sandy Hook or the Boston bombing no. or Charlottesville, for example. I don't but think so either. other than that, 
with that weakness, he's the best by far in cutting through all the nonsense. And he's been taking all the propaganda and the, the media to task regularly and with great skill. So I highly recommend Tucker Carlson on Fox. He comes in, you know, at uh, my time at 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern. I know he's later, of course, in the Pacific. Then his show is repeated it's at 11 Central. So, but I just say that's the one show I highly recommend everyone ought to watch. Laura Ingram is also very good. But I got to admit, Fox has really become uh, lowered its standards in terms of news reporting. Uh, Harris Falconer, for example, uh, cut off Newt Gingrich. When Newt Gingrich was talking about how George Soros had been financing the election of district attorneys around the country, you so you had all these extremists yes, yes. who were charging people who had committed acts of self-defense with criminal violations they didn't deserve or or tossing out charges against, for example, Jussie Smollett in Chicago. I mean, it's all completely disgusting. And for Harris Faulkner and two others on the panel to say, oh, I don't think we need to go there and talk about George Soros. Yeah, Jim, let me ask you, let let me just stop you there and and ask you this. What do you make of that, though, Jim? Initially, your first thoughts when you hear the name George Soros being dropped on Fox News, then the anchors are freaking out. Doesn't that say something to you, Jim? Well, of course. I mean, they're they're not really playing the, the objective role they ought to be playing. I mean, for crying out loud, this right. is with former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich. And he's a very astute politician. Very respected, I, very respected. I, yeah. I, I had just given an interview where I began by saying, if you want to understand what's going on here, you have to begin with this uh, Hungarian uh, uh, Jew who was a Nazi collaborator in World War II who has an international warrant out for his arrest in Hungary, and go from there. I mean, and here you had, this is like the day after I gave that interview, you had Newt Gingrich bringing up the role of George Soros, and I'd also been reporting, you know, how he was financing all of these uh, district attorney races to get in these so-called progressive district attorneys who are turning criminals free, and and where he has stated, I mean, this is a matter of record, that his objective before his do- he dies is to destroy the United States. That's always been his goal, to overthrow yeah. the government. His right. son picked Kamala Harris to be the running mate for, for, for Joe Biden. Which, well, that which I didn't know. The Democratic Party really needs a new designation because it's com- it's completely undemocratic. For truth in advertising, let's call it the Soros Party. Love that. Because these are a bunch of petty tyrants. It's just disgusting, Michael. The new woke order party, yeah. Yeah, the NWO party. That's good. Love that. So, Jim, let's get back and talk about this conference again. For those who have no clue what's going on, that's called the the Question Everything Conference in Austin. Go ahead and tell us more. Absolutely. Well, there are going to be two dozen speakers, really expert, wide range of subjects. You can find the program if you go to Mix, M-I-X-N, I I capitalize it. I'm not sure it has to be capitalized. MixNStream.com. That'll take you right to the conference, to the program. 
And there are two ways you can participate. There are only 200 seats at the hotel near the airport where it will be held, but unlimited pay-per-view. So you can actually participate from the comfort of your own home by picking up a ticket. If for any reason the conference did not occur, you get a full refund. But it seems to me that even if Austin, which has been shutting down right and left, though the hotel has said we're they are prepared for us to go forward with a conference, for something to interrupt that, we would turn it into a virtual conference. So you get the benefit of all of the speakers on nice. the wide range of subjects. Love that. It, yeah, it's it's really a, a good setup, Michael, and uh, everyone ought to check it out. It's the seventh and eighth of November. Yes. So it's it's right after the election, and it'll be something to relax and unwind and get your mind on a whole host of different diverting and utterly fascinating issues that you haven't been contemplating in recent time as we do the run-up to November 3rd. Right, that's Saturday and Sunday, November 7th and 8th at the Hilton Garden Inn, Austin Airport, 7610 John Glenn Way. That's Austin, Texas. In case anyone's out there, go ahead and stop in and say hi to Jim. Yeah, I would love it. Absolutely. I'll be moderating the conference as well as giving a presentation on the staging of the hate hate crimes involving Jussie Smollett, uh, 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 George Floyd, and Bubba Wallace. That'll be part of my presentation. So we're going to be busy churning up the turf, you know, and exposing what the deep state doesn't want you to know by questioning everything. Are you going to bring up Michelle Obama? Uh, I... I may very well. Yes, you should. I may very well do that. I, I have done that. If you go to jimtheconspiracyguy.com, you can find in my uh, How to Spot a False Flag Part 2 that at the end of that presentation, where in the in the two parts, I go through 15 or 20 false flags. So this is really an education in, in skullduggery and how the deep state seeks to, seeks to fake us out of our jocks. At the end of that, uh, how to spot a false flag part two, I go through issues of I- identity, but in particular, Michelle Obama and Barack Obama, everyone's consternation. Look at you, Jim. You got the the wife, the kids, living uh, the, the best life you can. You have the conference coming out. I mean, Jim, life is good for you. Well, I'll tell you, I'm as busy as I can be. I'm doing a show every single day now of the week called uh, uh, Need to Know, the Fetzer Report, with Giuseppe Vaffanjulo and a a third color commentator. You can find it on my Twitter account, at Jim Fetzer. You can find it, too, I think, by searching Need to Know. I have a BitChute channel for archive. So if you look for Bitshoot dash Jim Fetzer, I think it'll get you to the right one, but you'll be able to tell right away because if you scroll down, you'll see one need to know after another. Plus, I'm doing, you know, two two weekly shows that are about two hours apiece on Mondays, The Goldfish Report and Truth Versus News. And uh, tomorrow I'll start uh, my second ever return gig on Revolution Radio, where I'm doing it Mondays and Tuesdays now from 3 to 5 Central. I, I When I went to Jim the Conspiracy Guy, 
I, I wanted to do that because so much of the evidence is visual and I can do visual, yeah, yeah. but I need to have that direct interaction. It hasn't made for uh, 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 call-ins. I can't manage that on the new uh, website. So I'm returning to Revolution Radio Studio B, 3 to 5 p.m. Central, Mondays and Tuesdays, where the second hour is callers. And I'm just beginning my second hour on Mondays tomorrow, Michael. Very nice. Look at you, Jim. Busy. busy Very busy. Yeah. I don't know where you find the stamina for all this. And, of course, if you want more content and material from Jim, you can direct yourself to moonrockbooks.com as well. That's absolutely right, Michael. And I love I that. Think that's, it's a really good idea, especially as you contemplate Christmas. If you have any friends or relatives whose minds are remotely ajar, I mean, some of these books are just spectacular about JFK or 9-11 or the Boston bombing or, and I suppose we didn't go to the moon either, which not only talks about the moon landing, but the death and replacement of Paul McCartney, uh, the, the, the first death of Saddam Hussein, the second death of Osama bin Laden. And then the mythology that's grown up around World War II is thoroughly dispatched. Oh, yes. And my goodness, I'm glad you brought World War II up. Now I know what we will be talking about the next time uh, you're on the program. We could talk about uh, bioweapons and how they really uh, started around World War I, World War II, Jim. Well, that's true. That's true. That's true. All kinds of weapons have been devised by the hand of man. And it's sad that so much of human resources have gone into weapons of mass destruction right. rather than saving, you know, the health for the, to promote the health and welfare of the human family. But there it is. There it is. So, Jim, once again, I do want to thank you tremendously for being a part of the program. Always a honor and pleasure to have you here, Jim. We will do this again very soon. I always enjoy it, Michael. Thanks so much for inviting me. Love that, my friend. We'll talk again. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. And there he goes, boys and girls, the one and only Professor Jim Fetzer, the freight train. I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. That was pretty awesome as usual. Anytime we have Jim Fetzer on and I'm looking at that time and wow. Yes, we have run out of time once again for this special Sunday fun day edition of the program. And I do want to thank all of you out there in the chat room for hanging out with us again. And of course, those who called in, I really do appreciate your calls. Someone else was calling in, but I think they were calling the wrong number. Yeah, we have a newer number, so make sure you are calling the right number next time. And also, keep in mind, if you have not subscribed to the podcast version of this program, please do so by going to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and I have no idea who uses that. And of course, CastBox, which I love. And Spotify, if that's where you go to listen to your, um, I guess, favorite podcasts. If you listen to that, that is. And of course, if you want bonus material of this program, please go to patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. And uh, you'll find a new 
episode there, a free episode with John Olson. Check that out. And of course, international listeners out there, thank you so much for your support. Always interesting to talk to all of you out there. Lots of nice people in Germany, Sweden, Brazil, Russia, and the UK and Canada, of course. Lots of great emails from you. And yes, I apologize. I should be reading some of those emails that I have received from some of you. But I'll do that next show. Once again, thank you so much for being here, all of you out there. We will do this again very soon. Stay safe, everyone, no matter where you are on this island Earth. I'm Michael Deacon. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place. And life itself is a mystery. Until next time, mahalo. Mahalo.